Hello, everyone, and welcome to JBFC Podcast, the official podcast of the Jacob Burns Film Center and Media Arts Lab. I'm your host, Andrew Jupin. This week, I'll be taking a trip to one of our several animation premieres that we had last week over at the Film Center, and also my number one recommendation for a classic Italian film that you might not be thinking about going to see. But before that, I'm sitting here with our programming director, Brian Ackerman. Brian, thanks for coming on. Oh, great to be here. So I just wanted to talk about JBFC at 10, this gigantic year-long celebration that we're sort of in the middle of right now. We just had our official birthday this past Tuesday, the 21st, 10 years in business. We just had JBFC at 10, the series, which sort of highlighted the, the best and the brightest from all our repertory programming and series that we've had throughout the years. But this past weekend, we sort of ventured into quite possibly the craziest thing we've ever sort of done here. And that was, of course, the 24-hour movie marathon. It's unquestionably the craziest thing we did. I mean, everything else that we've done to celebrate the anniversary was very much in the frame of things that we've done before. Um, I mean, having the, and trying to, trying to, to sort of celebrate with the audiences that we know and who come here and, and are part of our flock. And this was a way of reaching out to an audience that's part of our flock that is, is really its essential, most concentrated cinephile audience. And Chris Funderburg came up with this great idea, which it wasn't apparent that it was a great idea until we actually were doing it. It literally wasn't apparent that it was a good idea until we were in the middle of it um, because it was so much off the path of what we do. Uh, which was to play 24 hours of movies on two screens, not tell the audience what they were seeing until literally they were just about to see it. And also to play films that we had never, ever played before at the JBFC. Right. I think that was a big hook of it uh, for at least me on the staff side of it, going into this, going, oh my goodness, there's all these things that I'm going to get to see you know, in-house that we've never played before, stuff that is either brand new or impossible to find on home video or things like that. And I think in a lot of ways, you're right, it really didn't sink in until, you know, the wee hours of Saturday morning. I was sitting there at, you know, two in the morning in theater one, watching For All Mankind in a gorgeous digital restoration, just on the big screen. And I thought, this is actually happening. We were both there, you know, from the very beginning. The The vibe in the theater was electrifying. And it was sort of like, you realize, you know, we sort of created this perfect storm for ourselves, either a perfect storm of complete insane chaos or this perfect storm of celebration and, and, and you know, cinematic merriment you know it was either going to go one of two ways exactly you know? and it wasn't it truly truly was not clear and i think chris who i think was was if i can say so was so bent out of shape about it that he didn't even show up at work on friday he was, he was so stressed out about it <laughs> he was a bit uh, nervous and and i didn't realize until it was really approaching that this was wow this could be a real who knows who knows? Who knows whether people are going to show up and are going to hate the movies that we're playing? One, are going to show up at all? Uh, two, are they really going to stay there? I mean, they might have an, an instinct that they're going to stay there for 24 hours. But once you've been in a theater for six hours, eight hours, 10 hours, it really gets to be long. And we figured, oh, as good as their intentions may be, 
they're just going to be just going to peter out. They're just going to be exhausted. They're going to be grumpy. They're going to be miserable. No matter what we're feeding them at a certain point, they're going to be unhappy. And that was exactly the thing that began to sort of feel different. I, I remember the, the uh, For All Mankind, which I only got to, that was one of my big frustrations is that was a film that I've been wanting to see again for 25 years. Mm-hmm. And um, thought, wow, it would be perfect to play it at 3 a.m. It's a perfect space out, late night, Brian Eno, Apollo. But I couldn't make it. I mean, by 3.15, I was so exhausted. And I knew I was going to have to be there. And I went back and I went to sleep. Shame, shame for, <laughs> for five hours and then came back. I think in a lot of ways, you know, and Chris very much strategically, you know, planned when these movies were going to be and at and at what time they were going to be and at what theater they were going to be in. You know, I mean, a, a lot of thought went into when, how and where we're showing these things. And For All Mankind is is a great example because it was just as the clue said in, in our in our promo list for all the guests the titles space out with brian eno if there's anything i want to do at 1 a.m in a big theater is just be able to have something that is is more of an experience than anything else like that's a film you can just kind of sit and let it take over you and and you don't have to do any of the work for it the same being for how we started the marathon i think the two choices that we had right out of the gate Errol Morris's tabloid and the restoration print of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, one being a gigantic, you know, Hollywood classic, looking better looking, than it's looking looked. better than it's ever ever looked. Uh, you spectacular know, a, looking print. I s- chose to sit in tabloid, which is you know, it's still an insanely entertaining movie. I mean, Errol Morris is the king of documentary in a, in a lot of people's eyes. Mine included. I mean, I, I I eat his stuff up. But tabloid ended before Gentlemen Prefer Blondes did, and I ducked into the theater and saw how gorgeous that print looked. And I was kicking myself, you know. I was saying, you know, we're I will have another opportunity to see to see tabloid at any point when it opens. But but I I chose to sit through the preview, you know, instead. But that was the kind of like not life and death, but really hard decisions you had to, you had to make with a lot of this stuff. And I think in a lot of ways, folks that were, were here for it were just, I think going into it, you know, folks were obviously a little apprehensive and, and sort of to a degree upset that they didn't know what was going on, but you could see as they were sort of faced with these decisions that they, they started to feel the fun of that too. It's funny. I think that part, I think you're right. I think uh, part of it, part of our anxiety was were people going to cotton to the rules, to the very strict rules actually of the whole game? And I think I don't think we made it totally, totally clear that when you showed up that night, you weren't going to get a list of all the films. And I bet that there were people who expected that and probably were disappointed that they weren't finally told, but were actually going to be fed very slowly what the films were and given a choice after each slot. And I think that there was a feeling and I think a very sort of counterintuitive thing where to some degree that sense of not having freedom was kind of exciting. I mean, mm-hmm. sort of how many experiences can you have where you are so completely, completely at the mercy of people who are giving you? I mean, particularly it's sort of like in this age of the Internet where you can get whatever you want, whenever you want it. I mean, the idea that you can't get it. And that you're just going to have to sit there and you have very, very limited choices. And as you say, you have to choose between two really good options, two really different options. And I agree with you about Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. I mean, I have, it's not my kind of movie. I had very, very little interest in seeing it. 
Uh, so it was easy for me to see tabloid, but I'd seen tabloid already, but I ducked into to the gentleman prefer blonde. And it was, it was just as beautiful celluloid as you could possibly expect to see. I mean, you literally thought, God, have I ever seen colors like that? I mean, literally in anything. You can't make Blu-rays look like that. You can come close and it's fair enough for home viewing that you can come that close. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if you ever wanted to sort of settle an argument, digital versus celluloid, that print of that movie can 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 end the discussion pretty quickly. But it's 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 interesting that you brought up this idea of like, you know, how folks were sort of handling the news that they weren't going to get a laundry list of choices. And I think it comes down to a trust issue. And it's a mm -hmm. it's a it's a trust issue between our audience and and us as as the the programming department, as the film center. A lot of people I saw there were our regular hardcore super cinephiles. True. You know, and uh and I think, you know, we've sort of garnered a little bit of a reputation as, you know, you may not love everything that comes through our doors, but a lot of the time, if not most of the time, it is well-intentioned. And, and a lot of the time we know that it's going to speak to an audience on some degree. So, you know, it was fun to see people in the lobby with their little scorecards, reading the clues over and they were guessing to themselves out loud and sort of conversing with other people online while they were waiting for the theater to open, you know, Oh, I think that this is going to be this movie. And Oh, I know for sure that that's this, this is a line from this movie. Or a lot of them were, were, sort of on the money which was which was mm -hmm. nice and then it was also sort of fun to hear a lot of people guessing one movie for a particular clue and then me having the knowledge saying to myself in my head you know it's actually not that movie buddy but it's actually a much better movie so you know you think it's going to be this one thing but 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 get ready and it was you know chris had always said he wanted it to feel like a party environment we keep going back to the for all mankind screening but i think that sort of exemplified that because the amount of people that were just sort of um, still just so incredibly excited to be there at that late hour, when the lights came up on that movie, Chris came out, he said what the other choices were going to be. And then he said, here's a music video that I found when I was watching MTV South America and just put on this crazy pop video that he had just uh -huh. randomly discovered and the place went crazy and we're laughing and some folks were dancing in the theater and everything. And it was just a, a wild wacky video, but it was just this, you know, that's when I sort of knew the tide may sort of ebb and flow as far as the energy level goes, but these people are sort of capable of continuing, you know, this sort of celebratory atmosphere that was present at 1030 when we were letting the people in the theater, it's present now at three o'clock in the morning. And it's going to be present at, at nine o'clock when we present the last series of films. It's interesting. I think that the people were, they didn't have the kind of, you know, arms folded, show me attitude that we were a little bit fearful of, but it was very much this kind of wind at your back. People just really just totally with it from the get-go, totally had the idea that it was a party right up front. And um, I mean, the video that you're talking about must have been at what? That's almost five in the morning. Yeah, like 455 five o'clock so you're talking about people dancing in the theater at almost 5 a.m in the morning 
I was not one of those people. I, when the lights came up, I said, this video looks entertaining, but I'd rather go upstairs, grab my keys and go sleep in my car for a little <laughs> while. I wasn't about to drive home to Queens at that hour. But I mean, it was just you know, that same kind of thing. When I, I woke up at, you know, 830, crawled out of my car, walked back into the film center and there were still people talking in the lobby. People were going out, getting coffee breaks, this, that and the other thing. And I was just. I was stunned. I said, you know, my God, I can't believe these people are still here. I mean, it was it was sort of shocking at that point, but people were still super excited that they were going to see the Blade Runner definitive cut at seven o'clock in the morning. I mean, one of the things that I think that you're, you're pointing up, which I think is is really sort of like what I think we've been successful at in the film century, but taken to a really concentrated degree is that at the at the marathon, people would turn to complete strangers and have very open, long conversations. They were bound together for an experience, and that just broke all barriers between them. And I think in some way, I mean, what I think the Film Center has been really good at in the last 10 years, I think what we've been most successful at is sort of creating this big sense of community. And this was a sense of community that was suddenly forced together very, very quickly, very, very concentrated. And, and people, you know, exchanging views about what they thought was coming up, as you were saying, what they had just watched, what they had watched in the other screen, what we missed, what might have happened, interpretations of, of films that they had seen. It was just really, really kind of loose, casual, like people knew each other for a long time. Yeah, which is which is just, it's, it's funny to think about that this kind of camaraderie was building up inside essentially a movie theater where conversation and, and you know, talking and whatnot is a lot of the time frowned upon horribly you know but I, I remember just being there in the middle of the night and overhearing on my way up the stairs someone talking about I, I can't wait to see what what Janet's pick is and I thought to myself Janet's pick isn't until five o'clock tomorrow afternoon are you seriously planning on being here and sure enough those folks were there and they were there for the Tammy show which was just another mind-blowing piece of film that who is going to stumble across this. It's really, it's it's true. I think that, that was a, an especially, you know, joyful interlude between films because it's not a film. It's really, it's a music concert and it's a music concert that very, very few people have ever really seen and certainly not seen it on a big screen. And I think everybody was shocked. It's, it's something where it's great all the way through and then it's something that goes from great to being just out of the cosmos when James Brown comes on. And that's sort of this crazy moment, like, you know, 12 minutes of the best performance footage ever made, maybe. I mean, it's just absolutely insane. And you sort of, I was saying to, to someone in the audience that to me, that footage of James Brown was akin to the footage of Janis Joplin in Festival Express, where you suddenly, for us of a certain generation who always knew her, but knew her uh, with this giant reputation, but never really experienced her in that way. You suddenly went, oh, that's why she's so sensational. And that was the same thing with, with the Tammy show where you say, well, you knew James Brown, but suddenly you realized, oh, that's why he's a giant. And it was, and everybody had that experience. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, someone from my generation who we sort of know James Brown as yes, a great musician, but by the time you're conscious of James Brown's kind of music and, and who he was and everything. He had definitely sort of passed that, that heyday. And I think in a lot of ways I had that exact same experience watching this going, Oh, that's why. 
And it's That's sort of like he's been he's doing James these. Brown. He's been doing a um, everything we've seen from you know the later generation has been he's he's sort of a caricature of his of his early self. But we had never seen that early self or yes. sort of a perfect example of that early self. And I think to Janet's credit, what a perfectly selected film because if anyone was feeling any kind of jet lag at that point you see james brown do this set and he does maybe three or four songs and the energy and and fire and brimstone that is put into that performance i can't see how anyone wasn't sitting there thinking you know my goodness if he can get up there and do that the least i could do is still it's sit just, in this movie theater for the rest of the 24 hours well it was actually interesting because it was it was it was midway it was one o'clock it was one well one p.m on sunday afternoon and you could see the energy build in the actual screening where there was sort of polite applause after certain performances of people that of performers that people really loved in the audience and then when james brown came on it was just infectious it was like watching stop making sense and being in the theater when it first opened you know people were just so totally with it and and then you know someone was telling me the story that apparently the rolling stones that mick jagger had said that the biggest career mistake that those guys ever made was agreeing to go on after James Brown. Yeah, that's that's a completely uh, realistic thing for Mick to say because you sort of even feel it watching the movie. You think, okay, you know, James Brown's coming to an end. The credits must be coming up, you know, and then and then the Stones come out and they do a completely fine set for the Stones. It's nothing mind blowing, but compared to James Brown. I don't even want to watch it. I mean, you know, I, I love the Stones, but I mean, why why anyone who was setting the concert card would have ever thought that it made sense to put the Stones on after? It's completely insane because I, I was completely checked out of the movie. I was. I, I thought, okay, well, all right, the Stones are Well, you keep come comparing. I mean, Mick Jagger actually worked, he, he moves really well, and it's sort of surprising that he's able to pull off as well as he can yeah. in the aftermath of that. But it is, you can't help but sort of like overlaying James Brown over what you're watching on a certain level. But anyhow, I mean, that, that film was sort of like that, that perfect, that perfect moment. And then it segues into what's the next set of, of films at three. Oh, the next set of films at three is, um, is Night Shift and Miami Blues. A great comedy. And then sort of this like Alec Baldwin crime-ish 90s thing which are two just insanely entertaining movies and i think night shift was steve apcon's personal choice of his like favorite movie of all time or something it's, it's, no, his favorite guilty pleasure it's 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 a great movie and you know i would i would say it's not even a, a guilty pleasure to say that you love that movie because it's just completely screwball entertainment but yeah just another great way to just kind of keep the ball sort of moving and i think that that's just again is another great point about you know chris's strategic planning of where we're going to put these movies and how we're sort of gonna how we're gonna, gonna mix go it up out. in a way which is going to keep people guessing but and not being disappointed yeah and then we have jonathan coming in after that and doing something wild which is kind of getting this resurgence thanks to the criterion release that they just came out with they did a nice blu-ray and dvd package for it and he was of course there to talk to, at the at the beginning of it and sort of talk to the crowd and everything and you know again Smart move getting Jonathan in front of a tired crowd because if anyone is going to sort of get Energize people engaged once again, it's Jonathan Demi. It's true. And he really came in and did sort of this rousing, rousingly sort of personal and wonderful talk about what the film meant for him and also just what his involvement with the JBFC has been over the last 10 years. 
it was sort of like a beautiful segue into into something wild. It's a great way to sort of see, you know, while we've cultivated this sort of trusting and dedicated audience, we've also sort of cultivated this great, you know, group of trusting friends of the JBFC who are willing to come here time and again to just talk about their movies and talk about other movies that they love, whether it's, you know, Jonathan with his continuing Rarely Seen series. He didn't end the evening, but uh, it was just sort of a nice thing to put on top of it of having, you know, Janet and, and Jonathan, two of our greatest friends coming and just talking about stuff that that means something to them and, mm. and you know, films that either, you know, touch them in a, in a way with with Janet and the Tammy show or or something like Jonathan, just a movie that he made that it's not his 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 most well-known movie, but it's still a great movie and it's a fun movie. And it's it's nice to see someone who's just amassed such a body of work come and say, you know, it's actually this movie that is really I'd fun love to and, see i'd love to see you guys play exactly yeah. and it was funny that after that the I, I think it was we really asked people to sort of run a tough gauntlet for the for the last film because the shortest of the last films which was a super temptation for anybody who'd been there for 23 hours already was a film that was a 51 minute experimental movie so with no narration no narrative basically just visuals and an organ score you're talking of course about the the bill morrison film uh the miners hymn yes which is an amazing movie it's an incredible movie i mean i was really excited because it's a film, film that i really loved mm -hmm. at tribeca and it really speaks to me in a deep way but i i know that it doesn't speak to everyone although a lot of people came out of that and we're really powerfully moved by it it's strange it has an emotional quality to it that you wouldn't expect for something that is literally just a hundred years of mining culture, archival footage stitched together to a really brooding score. Well, I think it's a it's a it's a film that once you can sort of get over the hump of, oh, that's what this is, mm -hmm. and you sort of just realize, you know, you get to a point, okay, that's all this is going to be. So let's settle in in this sort of mode and sort of just again, you know, much like for all mankind let the movie take you places. Uh, and I think that's something that, that Miner's Hymn does very I, well. I totally agree with that, with that description of, of movies like that for all mankind and Miner's Hymn really being a trip in some way. It's, it's something that really completely takes you to a different place than, than films typically take you. And what, one of the, the final things that I think really sort of uh, we were able to sort of trump all other places with was the fact that we had, we had found some stuff uh, some titles that you can't watch on on DVD or Blu-ray or or even VHS—they've just never been anywhere. Two of them came at the 11 a.m. block uh, on on Sunday morning. That being Penny Whistle Blues and and Three Outlaw Samurai. And and what was interesting about—I remember when I was I had to introduce those, and I was thinking, man, this is a really difficult decision to make for people at this point. And you could actually feel people being really tortured by it. Um, because there's Penny Whistle Blues, there's Three Outlaw Samurai, and then the other option was a film called Senna, which is a new documentary about Formula One race car driving, which nobody cares about, except that the film is sensational and is sort of an international phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, it's coming here in August, and even despite the fact that Americans don't care about it, it's, it's a documentary that's put together purely with archival footage, and with the voiceover is literally just the subjects or no talking heads. And so it's really in the moment archival tale 
of something which Americans know nothing about, but it's a fantastic story of a, two rival drivers. So there was that. And then there's this incredible South African movie that no one's ever heard of. And then Outlaw Samurai, Three Outlaw Samurai, which the print, I mean, I don't know whether you realized that that print was going to be so gorgeous, but that was, that blew me away. That was one of those things where it, it came to us and, you know, there was no sort of notification that this looks this way or this looks this way. And those are always, you know, coming from a, a technical standpoint of what I do here at the Burns, those are some of the greatest moments, you know, like Three Outlaw Samurai, like Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, when you stumble across these things and it's just like whoa these things have never looked any better and and and, and won't look, any, look better. any better and anybody who happens to be here is going to see them in a form where they're never going to be able to duplicate that experience anywhere and i think you know that sort of is a nice way to to sort of round out this whole experience is that if we had known beforehand you know that people were going to be really torn between what they're going to be see seeing because they're so excited for these two options or these three options. I think the stress on our end would have been a lot lower knowing that they were going to be so into this process and so into this, in a way, gimmick that we were sort of trying to pull off before their very eyes. Uh, if we had known that people were just going to dig it so much, it, it would have been a lot easier on our end. It's really true. It's really true. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't until well into it that we realized that people were not annoyed. We were expecting that they were going to be disappointed with both options, as opposed to feeling like, oh, I want to see both of those, or I want to see all three of those. So that would have been, we would have gone into, we would have slept a lot better for the days <laughs> leading up to it. That is true. Well, I think we can safely say that now that the marathon's over, we're all getting enough sleep now, uh, sort of catching up on it, as <laughs> it were. Uh, Brian, so I want to thank you for coming on and chatting about your experience with the marathon with me. Great to be here. Okay, we'll be right back after the music. If you were at the film center at all last week, you may have seen the red carpet rolled out in our lobby. The red carpet usually signifies that uh, we're in for a night of animation premieres at the theater. Uh, and this was the case for a record-breaking five nights in a row uh, last week at the theater. These animation premieres are products of our Animation Minds in Motion program that we do in-house in here at the lab and also uh, outsource to schools around the greater Westchester area. The program is geared towards elementary school students who are tasked with learning the ins and outs of what makes animation work, and then finally coming out the end of the class with a completed one-ish minute movie. Uh, and then so what we do is we like to gather all the schools together uh, and have the students bring their families and showcase the work on the big screen at the Film Center. The schools participating in last week's premiere were Jefferson, Pearls Hawthorne, Mount Kisco, Casimir Pulaski, Church Street, and Graham Elementary Schools, as well as the JFK Magnet School. So I decided it would be fun to grab a microphone and head over to one of the premieres and see if I couldn't catch up with some of the student filmmakers and teachers and education volunteers that all come together and are able to make this great program possible. So here now is me on location at the Film Center at one of our animation premieres. Hi, what's your name? Angela Usobiaga. Angela, and so was this your first time volunteering with Minds in Motion? Very first. And how did you find the experience? 
I loved it. In fact, um, I've been looking forward to this day for weeks to come and actually see the what the kids had produced. But it was probably one of the nicest, most profound experiences I've ever had working with kids. Loved it. And that's great. So um, how did you come across the volunteer programming? Email <laughs> from the Jacob Burns Film Center looking for volunteers. What was the name of the film that you were a part of? Frankenstein Goes to Church, of all things. Was it kind of difficult for the, the kids finding the story? I mean, how did, how did your group specifically work together? Well, they actually went in a circle, and each kid came up with an idea. One of them was Frankenstein Goes to Church. And uh, then they had a vote on it, and there was a tie between Frankenstein Goes to Church and something having to do with Britney Spears. So I have to admit, I was kind of swaying the vote toward <laughs> Frankenstein <laughs> and that was it after that their imaginations just took over and that was it it was fabulous that's great I think I'd probably vote uh, Frankenstein over Britney Spears myself <laughs> Angela thank you so much you're welcome. Bye. hi what's your name my name is Lauren and you're a teacher at the school that's here today I'm a teacher assistant at Graham Elementary School yes I am and uh, what was what was your involvement as far as when when we were coming in and doing the Minds in Motion program at the school my focus was I actually assisted with the students in the classroom and whatever, whatever the volunteers needed and assist the children in case they had any questions or needed help with any of the materials and kept kind of try to keep the heads cool during all the lovely commotion and the um, process. Yeah, I can imagine it can get a little nuts. Was this your first time working with the Minds in Motion program? Yes, it was. And how did you find the experience overall? I am just amazed at the work that they do. I have to give credit to everybody because, I mean, the imagination and the whole process was just, you know, incredible. Hi, what's your name? Victoria. Victoria, what movie did you work on today? Um, the doll who um, wanted to um, dream. How did you like the experience working with Minds in Motion? It was good. Yeah, it was good. What was your favorite part about it? Um, that we get to make the movie. Yeah, just so the whole thing overall, you got to just make the movie. That was your favorite part? But I got to go now. <laughs> All right, thank you. Hi, what's your name? Shannon Washington. And Shannon, what movie did you work on today? Frankenstein Goes to Church. I loved that one. How did you like the experience? It was funny. It was silly. Yeah? Would you do it again? Yeah. Hi, what's your name? Shereen Jones. And Shereen, is this your first time you volunteered with Minds in Motion? It's the second time. And what uh, what film were you part of today? What group did you work with? I worked with the um, Jesse the Jaguar's Great Adventure. Okay, that was the one with the uh, the, the Jaguar breaking out of the Bronx Zoo. Yes. And uh, how how did the how did the group work for you? Was it was it tough deciding on a story that seems to be the general consensus is that's the part that takes the longest. They actually came together and really worked well on deciding on this story. It was just later on, one in the group decided that she didn't like the story and wanted to change it. But for the most part, they were set pretty early on. And the first time you found out about volunteering, how did you, how did you come across that? I got an email from Jacob Burns saying that they needed volunteers for this program. That's great. Well, we thank you so much for volunteering. Thanks for taking a quick second to talk to me. Hi, what's your name? Renaya. Renaya, what movie did you work on today? The Doll Who Wished Dream. The dollar wish you could dream. How did you How did you like working on it? I liked it because um, it was about a doll. What was your favorite part about about animating? Everything. Everything. Would you do it again? Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you. Have a good summer.
So as you were hopefully able to hear, uh, the student animation premieres can be quite the wild and raucous affairs, but uh, it was really great to see all the kids there. They were all so excited to see their work on the big screen and then come up on the stage at the end in Theater One and be presented with awards from their teachers and, you know, see their family there and everything and, you know, sort of come together for them. And they're all really excited to to be there and have that experience that they'll never forget. Animation Minds in Motion, as well as several other of the education programs here at the Media Arts Lab, cannot in any way function without the help of all of our great volunteers. So if you or someone you know has any interest in volunteering for any of our education programs here at the lab, not just Animation Minds in Motion, feel free to send an email to education at burnsfilmcenter.org to find out more information as to how you sign up and which classes need volunteers and, and so forth. It's a great experience, as you could tell from some of the folks I was able to talk to. All our volunteers just have such a great time working with the students and working on the projects and everything, and it's most definitely a worthwhile experience. Back after the music. And finally today, as many of you know, we're in the middle of our classic Italian series, a repertory series we do every year here at the Burns, every June. And I just want to make a quick film recommendation uh, for a movie that you may not be going to see. You may not be familiar with the title. I know, you know, a lot of the a lot of the films we do play in classic Italian are your La Venturas and and your Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrows and your Ivitalones. You know, a, a lot of films that are, are well-known amongst Italian cinephiles. One film that you may not be too familiar with is a film that we're playing next week in the late night slot. And that's 1975's Deep Red, directed by Dario Argento. Uh, if you're not familiar with Dario Argento's work, he is a filmmaker of the Giallo school. That's the Italian horror genre. And I guess it's the fact that it is a Dario Argento film that I just sort of want to make quick mention of it here. We usually get the opportunity to play an Argento film once every other year, maybe. Once a year if we're lucky. His films, you know, while while being, yes, uh, violent and 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 horror films, they are they are beautiful films to, to look at. When you watch one of Argento's films, there is no mistaking it for anyone else. He has such a a flair about his cinematography that you don't find a lot of the time in 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 horror films in general and i think that's uh you know it goes along with the sort of uh, presumption that horror films are are schlocky and they're they're this or they're that but i guess if you wanted to say something that's more along the artistic side of of horror filmmaking it's definitely dario argento uh and deep red is is no exception the film's about a musician who witnesses the murder of this famed world-renowned psychic and along the way um there's 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 lots of funny moments in his movie and like i mentioned the 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 look of these films you know argento puts a lot of thought into the shots that he's he's composing another great thing about them and and this again is something that is almost distinctly argento although they have worked with other italian filmmakers as well is the score of this movie and if you've ever seen 
a Dario Argento film, there's a good shot that you've heard the music of the band Goblin. Goblin is most definitely a product of their time. A lot of synthesizers, a lot of fast bass rhythms, uh, but they are just so fun to listen to and they bring such an amazing feel to all of his movies. Deep Red was actually the first film Goblin ever worked on. It's really, it's really a treat to listen to them. So with the combination of great music, amazing cinematography, and just, just really interesting and well done stories, Dario Argento is is a filmmaker that you're you're in for a treat about ninety percent of the time you watch one of his movies, especially the older stuff, stuff from the seventies. Deep Red was actually one of his very first features, so it's definitely something I think is completely worth watching. Uh, not to say that other stuff in classic Italian is not, but I feel like this is a movie that, you know, you may sort of skip over it in the calendar and because they're all late at night, too, that might sort of deter you. But uh, I just wanted to sort of put out there that I cannot recommend this movie enough. If you see this movie and you're sort of looking for other recommendations of stuff that he's directed, because he does have a fairly large body of work and it's not all filled with masterpieces, but some other recommendations I just wanted to toss out there. Uh, his first feature the Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which we did play in last year's Classic Italian, if anyone was able to catch that. The Cat o' Nine Tales, Inferno, Opera, and probably his most well-known film, the classic Suspiria. All of these movies are readily available on, on DVD, and some of them actually have really nice-looking Blu-ray releases from places like Blue Underground, who does a great job with a lot of these restorations. Uh, the film is playing next Monday through Thursday, the 27th through the 30th. I cannot recommended enough if you're looking for a way to sort of round out what you've seen in classic italian this year it's always a safe bet to go with something brought to you by dario argento i want to thank brian ackerman our programming director for coming on earlier and chatting with me about our mutual experience with the 24-hour movie marathon for all of you who went to the marathon thanks so much for for sticking it out i know we had several people who actually did complete all 24 hours which is an amazing accomplishment and you should definitely pride yourself on that and again, I hope you enjoyed listening to some of my interview subjects from the Animation Minds in Motion premiere. Again, if you're looking to get involved in Animation Minds in Motion or you would like to volunteer for any number of our education programs, uh, please feel free to drop an email at education at burnsfilmcenter.org. And like I said, Deep Red 1975 Dario Argento playing next Monday through Thursday over at the Film Center, the 27th through the 30th. Definitely check it out if you can. I really, really do think you will not be let down. For any other ticketing information, event information, or education information, please don't hesitate to visit our website, www.burnsfilmcenter.org. And if you have a question for me or a question about the podcast in general, feel free to drop me an email at podcast at burnsfilmcenter.org. So until next time, my name is Andrew Jupin, and this has been JBFC Podcast. <laughs>